Grab your Bibles, your devices today. It is, again, the book of Ephesians. It's actually just read so well to us today. And we continue through chapter 2, finishing up chapter 2. Then next week, we will take a two-week break from the book of Ephesians. And we will share with you, as we normally do during the month of February, our Better Together Sundays. And so two Sundays, we'll talk to you about community starting next week and then the week after as well. And then we'll get back to the book of Ephesians together. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 11 today. So I call this a new species of beings, and I'll explain that to you in just a moment as we work our way through this. But what we find, again, these verses divided up this chapter by the translators for you and I, verses 11 through 22, are written in very much the style that Paul normally writes in. And so he always starts with normally this thing of our hopelessness without Christ. And that's just, that, verse, that is verses 11 and 12. And then he always goes to the but now. And I love the but nows of Scripture. The but now of God's great grace is verse 13. And then he always gets to the how of God transforms our situation in Christ. And that's 13 through 22. So I love how always Paul writes in this form for you and I to understand. And as you begin to read other letters and other epistles from Paul, if you look for this form of writing, you'll see it all the way through very much a Pauline style of communicating. But in this 11 verses, what Paul does is he addresses something that's very common to our human behavior. In fact, I would even call it a flaw in our human behavior. And that is how that you and I tend to gravitate to those that are like us in life, even at the expense of other salvations at time, that we gravitate to those that are like us. That's exactly what's happening in Ephesus. That's what Paul is dealing with. And that's what happens here as well, that we are not foreign to that. So I begin to think about that a lot, right? And, and so I thought that, well, different people and personalities are attracted or gravitate to each other. So extroverts gravitate to extroverts, right? And then introverts gravitate to introverts as well. And you say, Mark, I didn't know that there was a group for introverts, right? No, you don't know that because they don't talk about it a lot, right? Isn't that true? Yeah, but there is this secret society for introverts as well. But we gravitate to each other on cultural similarities, on ethnic similarities, even, you know, I would say we use the word ethnic because we're always afraid to use the term color of skin, but I'm going to say that because I think that is very true that we gravitate to each other even for color of skin and that of political orientation as well. The CNN people get together and the Fox News people get together, right? Now, come on, you know that's true, so let's just call it what it is, right? But last week, what we discovered in our teaching in verses 1 through 10 is that in the reality of our existence as humanity, there's only one category of people. And that is that Paul says that one category is sinners, that before Christ, we were dead in our trespasses, meaning that we had crossed a line with God. He said we were also dead in our sins, meaning that we had failed to meet the standard of God. So Paul calls us in a very loving way last week that we are rebels and failures, 
that we did our own thing. Yes, we did. That we follow the leading of Satan is what he tells us in the scriptures last week. That we saw Satan as an influence in our life like a father would influence his children. So he calls us sons and daughters of disobedience is what he said. But then he also had a but God moment. He had one of those but God moments where God steps in and he saves us from our sins. Yet still, because we are human, we have this propensity within our lives to sin and our behavior shows many times in our life. And so we find ourselves gravitating to people uh, that are familiar than that are like us is what we realize So we find ourselves going through life with this moment-by-moment need of a Savior because of the brokenness of who we are. And so we have, really, a great deal in common. And that is that our commonality of our life is that we're all broken, that we're all sinners, that we have this propensity to sin in our lives. So look at verse 11 again. Let me read these verses. They're very powerful. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the faith or in in the flesh, call the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. A very difficult verse. I want to talk about it in a moment with you. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... Oh, I am so thankful for the but nows that we find in Scripture. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So a couple of thoughts this morning, starting with the first is this, breaking down the walls Paul uses it in the singular, you know, wall, but I want to use it in the plural aspect of it. That is breaking down the walls of hostility. So I start with therefore, because that's where Paul starts. So what is therefore, therefore, right? That's the big question. It connects us to something previously. And what Paul is doing, he's connecting to chapter 1 and that of what he says that we are in Christ, this blessing of who we are in Christ. And then he says, I want to connect you to what I've already said in chapter 2. And that is that you once were dead, you were rotting in your sin. Now Christ has brought you back to life and that you are saved by grace alone is what he says. Because this is a moment for you and I to refocus on the gospel. Specifically written as he begins this text to the Gentiles. Now he's not going to leave the Jewish folks out. So hang on for a moment. But what Paul does, he starts talking to the Gentiles. Very much a style of Paul's writing. That he has this thought in the middle of another thought. And he kind of leaves the first thought. Now I don't know if you ever talk or think like that. I do often, right? That you're in the middle of a sentence and all of a sudden something else comes into your mind and you go and you talk about that and you come back to what you're talking about before. We find that that's very common in Paul's writing and that's exactly what he does here. He starts out by saying, let me talk to the Gentiles. But then he says, oh, wait a minute, let me talk to the Jews first. Okay, and then I'll get back to the Gentiles. And so what he does He reminds the Jews of that of the covenant with Moses regarding circumcision. That's why he talks about that at the very beginning of these texts. And he says this, that even though it was an outward surgical procedure 
that it was never meant to just be that. It was always a sign of God doing something within your own heart, with inside of your life. It was an outward sign of God working inwardly in your life to that of separating you from sin is what it was all about. But he said to the Jews, but you have taken it and you have made it nothing more than a ceremony is what he was saying. You have simply made it in the flesh by hands is the words that he uses here. And you have made it merely a ceremony is what he's saying. It's like you and I coming to church, but yet never being transformed by worship and the word that we hear here. So it's simply this outward, uh, this outward presentation of our life, but yet there's no inward transformation. Can I tell you something about things that we do here and what Paul is talking about here in the book of Ephesians? And that is that rituals and ceremonies and liturgy, all of those things that they have place in our life, but they lack the ability to replace heart experiences within you and I. Understand that. That this is about our heart. That this is about transformation within us. So Paul says, okay, I've got that off my chest. Then let's go back and let's talk to the Gentiles for a moment. And he said, let me talk to you, Gentiles. Now, Ephesus is a multicultural church. It is. So it's filled with people that do not look alike and they do not think alike. And I think it's interesting. In fact, we know historically that the church's Ephesus perhaps had more Gentiles that attended that church than they did actually of a Jewish population. So it's a very interesting group of individuals. And he said to the Gentiles who have been looking at their Jewish brothers and sisters and they simply are thinking things like, hey, you guys had the golden ticket and you blew it. What is wrong with you? You know, so there is this tension between the two groups and Paul being the equal opportunity offender that he is. He said to the Gentile brothers and sisters, let me bring your feet back to the ground for a moment. He said, don't forget That before Christ, that you were separated from Christ. That you were not included as citizens in Israel, is what he says. That you were strangers to the covenant. That you were without hope and you were without God. And here's what Paul is saying to both Jews and Gentiles in that church. And he's saying it to this room this morning. That you're different in many ways, but yet you're very much alike Because what binds you and I together, what brings us together is that it's who we were as much as who we are in Christ today is the commonality that brings us together. And he's saying to the Jews and to the Gentiles in that church, yes, you're different. There's some notable differences in all of you as you come together and worship. But there's one common thing that binds you together and that is who you were before Christ who you are now in Christ is the common denominator that you share is what he's saying because he's saying hey some of you even before Christ you were experts in sinning and some of you before Christ you were experts at religion I think that kind of perhaps describes the room that we're sitting in this morning, that some of you are experts in sinning and some of you are experts in religion because some of you are sitting there saying, man, I haven't done a lot of really, you know, crazy things in my life, certainly not as bad as the person sitting next to me because I know them, right? Yeah, so, so I kind of excuse myself and those. Paul says, wait a minute, 
We all have something in common in the room, is what he's saying. That we missed the perfect standard of God. Yes, some of you before Christ, you were hellions and you looked the part. Can I get an amen to that? Yes, yes, you, you were. Some of you were. Some of you actually looked very religious, but you were, you were hellions on the inside. Isn't that right? Yes. And so he covers everybody that we share a common bond that surpasses all other bonds in this room. And they did it in Ephesus. And that is simply who we were and who we are in Christ. That's why he says the but now. I love the but nows of Scripture. Wow. Because it sets us free. It does something in our lives that nothing else can do. Because what I realize, it's the greatest identifying marker of our lives this morning. It surpasses everything else the but nows do. It surpasses culture. It doesn't eliminate culture, but it even surpasses culture that we share together. Or ethnicity, or economics, or or our profession, or church backgrounds, or theology. It even is greater than our politics. Because that seems to be a really big one right now. Isn't that correct? It's the but now. It's who we are in Christ that he says. And, and when I looked at that statement, that but, he prefers to who we were. The now is who we are in Christ. And it is the very thing that unites you and I in this very room, even in the middle of our differences. That God has called us to unity and not uniformity. That we are going to be different in certain ways in this room as a church. That is going to happen. We're never going to see everything the same way. It's not going to happen. But yet he calls us to unity and he gives us a unifier in the middle of all of this, of our differences. And that is that who we were before Christ came into our life, whether we were Jew or Gentile, and who we are today in Christ after we have been redeemed by the Son of God. And so what it does, it unifies you and I. So let me talk about this for a moment. Because he makes this statement, who has made us both one And has broken. By the word broken, write the word loosen or untie. Because it's the same word that is used for those words. It says, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing walls of separation. So I got hung on this thought. That same word for broken is the same word for loosen or untie. And and I began to think about this a lot because I think when we think about a wall, we think about something is extremely visible right in front of us, something that's tangible, we can reach out and touch. And some of you are saying, well, I really have no walls in my life when it comes to other people. I, I I really don't because I can't see that. What Paul is addressing, I think, is really a wall that's within you. It's something with inside of you. It's something that is within your own heart. Because before those things are ever exhibited in our behavior, they are simply conceived in our hearts. Understand that. So before you separate yourself from the narrative and say, Oh, I have no walls in my life when it comes to anybody else. I think, think about this question. Think about who you gravitate to. 
Who do you gravitate to mostly? Well, Mark, it's just human behavior, right? Well, so is sin, correct? But do we excuse that? No. So we have to talk about this for a moment. Because I think in this room, there are many walls that are represented. Many of them of of various types and magnitudes, I think. There are walls in this room that are racial walls. Because they were evident and they existed in Ephesus. They're here as well. So in this room, there are racial walls. In this room, there are economical walls. I've heard people say, well, I, you know, I, I just don't. I just don't feel comfortable around people that don't have. And I hear people say that don't have. They don't feel comfortable around people that have a lot. And so there, there are walls. There are those economical. There are political walls of our political ideology. That is, I mean, the, the right-wingers don't want to hang with the left-wingers, right? And the left-wingers don't want to hang out with the right-wingers. That's so weird, isn't it? Isn't that true? Yes, it just sounds like that. It sounds like they were kind of a bunch of chickens in a chicken coop. I don't understand all the wing stuff, right? But but it is absolutely true. And I thought, well, Paul must be taking something that has some very contextual bearing on the church at Ephesus, and he does because during this moment that Paul is in prison, house arrest in Rome, waiting his trial before Caesar. That if you were go to the if you were to go to the temple in Jerusalem, that in the temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, then there would be a wall, a small wall, a stone wall, and in that wall, which would separate that of the inner temple area from the outer temple area, there'd be a sign. And on this wall, which is called a sorig, on this wall is a sign, and here's what the sign would say in the temple in Jerusalem. It said this, and this is a loose translation of it. It says, any Gentile, I think it's on the screen this morning, any Gentile entering beyond this wall will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. That is not a welcome mat, is it not? I mean, that's true, right? That's exactly what the sign says. And in the Jewish mind, it was a, a separation between good and bad or, or that of clean and unclean or circumcised or not or safe or unsafe, familiar or unfamiliar, similar or different. And you say, but Mark, I am so glad that we don't put signs up like that anymore. Isn't it right? Yeah, right? Because they would be absolutely politically incorrect in our current culture. So I'm so glad. Well, can I tell you, don't dismiss yourself from that so quickly. Because I believe what Paul is talking about, as much as he's talking about a physical sign in the temple in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, he's talking about a sign in our hearts that divides us. And so what he's saying, and Paul is writing to Christians and saying that even though there's a sign that is still on the wall in the temple, there are to be no signs like that in the church, is what he's saying. There's not to be any signs like that in your own heart. Even though there are signs there, there are to be no signs here, but yet what we realize, there are still walls that are represented here, and even walls in this very room. It's why Paul is writing to us, and he's saying, even though you are different... 
There is an ultimate defining marker in your life that binds all of us together in the midst of all of our differences. And that is that who we were before Christ and who we are now, that we were sinners in need of a Savior, that we are in Christ because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. It is the identifying marker that brings you and I together. So in the South, right, we're in the South. So, so in the South, we have this saying. We say, we, we say, you're my people. You ever heard that saying, right? Oh, dude, you're my people, right? We say that uh, about certain groups uh, that we find this natural kinship with our, our family or cultural connection or even a, a racial connection that we say that you're my people. And so the question Paul is posing in this letter to the church at Ephesus, and I think that he would pose this question to you and I, is this, who are your people? That's a, that's a big question, isn't it? Who are your people? I think it's something that we had to, have to kind of sit in for a moment and, and, and think about this and say, you know, there, there is walls in my life. There, there, there are separations in my life from other people who are in Christ. There, there are those things that I have allowed to maybe build a sign in my life as well. And so the question is, who are your people? And if you sit for a moment and you look at your friend group and people that you surround yourself with in your sphere of, of influence, that what you realize is that you've probably surrounded yourself by a lot of people that look like you and think like you. So who are your people? Okay, Mark. I agree. You know, <laughs> I understand what you're saying. So how do I fix this? How do I fix this in my life? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question because it's the perfect question. Folks, what Paul does, he starts this out by simply saying, for he himself is our peace. He starts that very last sentence by saying, for he himself is our peace. Now, can I tell you before I talk about this in a moment, that the fix for this division, the fix of the walls in our lives, is not that we all start thinking alike. That's not it at all, right? That's, that's not the fix at all. And it's not that we all start looking alike. That's not the fix. Because if we all start thinking alike and looking alike, then we become a cult. Isn't that true? Right? It's so that's not the fix. So, so what is Paul saying to us when he says that Jesus is our peace, that he himself is our peace? It's not simply that he has made peace that between the Jews and that of the Gentiles or us and God, but he is our peace, the essence of peace that he is the source of peace, that he is the Lord over all hostility. Now, I'll talk about that for a moment. That God being the Lord over all hostility. It's the book of Matthew, chapter 8, and verse 23. Let me read this text to you. It will be familiar, perhaps, to some of you as I read this. Matthew 8, and verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there rose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep, Christ was asleep, and they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Look at verse 26. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he rose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The word calm, same word for peace. 
And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? And when I read this, I thought, well, Jesus knows who he is. Why? Because even before he ever speaks peace to the storm, he takes a moment to do a short teaching with the disciples just before they drown. Isn't that great? I I love that. Why? Because he knows who he is and he knows who he is Lord over. And I begin to think about that a lot. That it's more than just him speaking peace to the raging moments of our life. He's already Lord over all of those moments of our life and our existence in every situation. He's Lord over the waves. He's Lord over the winds long before he ever speaks to them. But the winds and the sea submit. They submit and peace ensues. So I thought, then what about the disciples? That this is really a moment about lordship is what this is. That Jesus is Lord over every area of my heart, even the areas that are ugly and even the ones that are rotten and even the ones that I want no one to know about that smell like death. But he is Lord over over everything is, is what I think this scripture is teaching but Lord, over this inclination in my life to gravitate to other people just because they're like me and I don't feel comfortable around other people because they're not like me at, at all. And, and have I given him the opportunity and submitted to him as being Lord over the walls of my life? Have I done that? Have I submitted to his lordship over my flesh, the old man? Because how can I say that I love him And I'm not loving my brother well. How can I do that? Because on that boat that day, the waves and the wind were not the only thing that needed to submit to the lordship of Christ. But it was the disciples as well. So the wall may be present in the temple, but in culture. And in culture, but here in the church and in our lives As Christ follows, the walls have no place, is what he's saying. Let me read verse 15 to you. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, he says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostilities. And he came and preached peace to you who were Far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to one spirit in the Father. Complete and equal access to God. So what I realize concerning the church is that the church is is much more than than a gathering. It's much more than a gathering of Jews and non-Jews. It's much more than, than a place of just being multicultural. And I think sometimes in the church we sort of wear that as a badge of success at times that that we are multicultural as a congregation. No, what we realize and what Paul is telling us today is the church, the body of Christ, is a completely new, whole new species of beings reconciled to God and reconciled to each other that we have equal access with the Father is what he's saying to you and I. It's not that just we're the same old model of car and somehow God has put a new paint job on us. It's more than that. And that's the most incorrect understanding of how the gospel works in my life and your life. What God says here is he's taken two and he's made it one. That we are a new species 
in God is what he's saying. Completely new. In fact, the word reconcile that he uses here is, I think, specifically intensified because it's about being super reconciled to God. That we are super reconciled to God. Why? Because the Father has been super satisfied with the work of the Son on our behalf. And so the commonality that you and I share in this room, because we are super reconciled to God, we have been made one with God, is that that commonality brings us together in the midst of all of our differences. It's what we share together is this common dependency upon Christ and his mercy and his grace, and he has reconciled you and I. So no matter what our ethnicity might be today or whatever our religious background has been or whatever our economics are or however you see politics today, can I tell you, those are not the things that bring us together in in a common bond. What brings you and I together and it supersedes all of those things this morning is that of what we were before Christ came into our life and what we are today in Christ and we are super reconciled to God. And because of that, we are super reconciled to one another. So the gospel brings us together. It's exactly what he's teaching us. To a church in Ephesus who is made up of Jews and Gentiles. To those that have been, as he brings up, circumcised and those that are not. To those that see this as an actual requirement to be a Christian. And for those that see no need in their life as all, at, at all. To those that have come from backgrounds of worshiping idols. To those that have always worshipped Jehovah God. To those that have come from the temples that surround the church at Ephesus. To those that would never step foot in one of those temples. He's brought them together and put them together as one body. It's amazing. The church is an amazing thing. To know that we could come together and we could love each other and serve each other. And we could find a common bond in one another that supersedes all of those things. It doesn't erase those things. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't erase the existence of those things in our life. But yet it supersedes those as well. It does. You could never run a restaurant like that, could you? No. If you go to the Christian chicken, Chick-fil-A, right? And you go in there and you, and you go to the counter to order and you order a hamburger, you are going to be sorely disappointed, right? Yes. But you're not a chicken sandwich eater, but you're a hamburger eater, but you find yourself in there, you're not going to be able to stay very long because it's just not going to meet that in your life. What I realize is that this room today is filled with people from so many varying backgrounds of many ethnicities, 
of, of many experiences in life. And we're brought together, we're brought together, and God calls us a body in Christ. And there's only one way that you and I can ever be that body in Christ, in, in that we gather around that common denominator of who we were before Christ came into our life and who we are today in Christ. It is the only thing that brings us together. As diverse as we find ourselves. Wow. Verse 19. And we wind all of this up. So then we are no longer strangers and aliens. By the word alien, you can write the word foreigner. Same word. And some of your translations use that word as well. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in which the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, that we are no longer strangers and aliens. We're not. Regardless of your background, whether Jew or Gentile, that in this room at the church at Ephesus, there are no second class citizens. There are no gold card members and platinum card members. Okay, there are none of those at at all. No, not in the kingdom of God. It's not just that we are full citizens, but what Paul says that we are more than that. We are even equal members of the household is what he's saying. Now, before you draw conclusions that are not in Paul's writings, I think I need to say a few things to you. The first, I think, is this, that trusting Jesus does not remove our cultural distinctives. And and realize that. In fact, I think it perhaps enhances them in, in, in a greater way, and it brings God out in them. But what he's saying is that you are ultimately defined by who you are in Christ, is what he's saying. What God has given you as an identifying marker in your life is beyond and deeper any culture that we could ever have in this room. Can I show you that from the book of Galatians? Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. And here's Paul again, these words of Paul. He says, For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, does that mean that, that God has erased gender? That's not what he's saying. Does culture disappear? That's not what he's saying at all. But Christ is the ultimate mark of our life. He said, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Well, Mark, I feel like that sometimes with other believers that, that, that I have this wall built up in, in my life, you know, against them. And, and so can I say, if you feel that way, then, then what I would say to you today is that the gospel in your life needs to go a bit deeper. That's what it does. If you're finding that, that your connection with people because of their, and I say this because this is so much of our conversation, because of their political affiliation or the political ideology is much more binding than that of knowing that they are a fellow follower of Christ, 
then I would say to you today that you have a very serious gospel problem. Can I go further? Might as well. You've already stepped in the middle of it, Mark, right? Might as well venture out a little more. Why just stay knee deep when you can go up to your neck in it, right? That if you find kinship with other whites, blacks, Hispanic and Asians more than you do with other followers of Christ, then I would say to you today that you have a gospel identity problem. That might have actually got me into my eyes. I'm not sure, but it's... But Mark, you're talking to Christians and none of that really applies to anybody in this room. It's to those that didn't come this morning because they thought it was going to snow, right? Or whatever. But it, it does no. Can't, just wait for a moment. Let me read something to you again from the book of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. Listen to these words. But when Cephas, do you know who Cephas is? Peter, the apostle Peter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, these are Paul's words, I opposed him to his face. That's biblical words for I got up in his grill. Okay, is what he did, right? Yeah. I got up in his grill because he stood condemned. I like got up in his grill better. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Dude, you got to have your stuff in order if you're going to call the apostle Peter a hypocrite, right? That's exactly what's happening. So then even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, that's the point. That as a believer, we can find ourselves sometimes that our conduct is out of step with the gospel. Peter's was. I said to Cephas before them, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, then how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So I, 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 I looked at this and I just sit here for a while and, and here's Peter and, and in the company of Jews that uh, he refuses to have dinner with Gentiles who he did before they showed up and he shunned them for those that were like him think about that he shunned them for those that were like him he placed his preferences over the gospel the apostle Peter because the gospel needed to sink a little deeper into his own heart. So I think the question for me is, where am I in this? And where are you in this discussion this morning? Because are you, are you laying aside your preferences for the sake of others? Or does your preferences, like Peter, do they supersede your, your heart for other people?
Because I think that we, we stand and we worship, we go to the table of communion and, and, and we hear the words of, of a Savior who went to the cross and laid aside every preference in his life for you, yet we as Christians sometimes stand and worship that Savior, refusing to lay aside, uh, lay aside our preferences for others. You know, Paul, in his planning of churches, Paul never planted a church on one side of town for Jews. And then he said, you know what? I think it'll work better if I go over here and plant a church on the other side of town for the Gentiles. He never did that. He planted one church filled with a new species of beings and reminded them of their faith is two-dimensional. That their faith is vertical and that is their relationship with God but it is also very much horizontal and that is a relationship with everyone around them so how can I say that I love and serve a God who laid down all of his preferences for me yet I refuse to lay down my personal preferences for others around me those that are different than It's a huge thought. Well, thank you, Mark, that you have made us aware of this, right? And and so awareness is really what I needed. No, no, can I tell you, you need something other than awareness today. And I think what you need is intention. You need intentionality. To just be aware is to know that you are broken. Intentionality is to fix what's broken in your life. Because if I'm aware of what Paul is saying today about this community and how this community should treat and love each other, then I am intentional on simply that working out in my own life personal. And what I realize is that that's the only way that we experience gospel, gospel community. The only way. So can I ask you to do something? Sure. Go ahead, Mark. I'm going to ask you to do something this week in response to what Paul has said to us in Ephesians. And that is to be intentional in forming a relationship with someone that is radically different than you. You're asking me to do a lot. I'm not asking you really. Paul is asking. These are the words of Paul. To form a relationship with someone that is radically different than you. And find that in the middle of your differences, it is Christ that defines us. So can I pray for you for a moment? This is a lot to chew on, a lot to think about. So I think we should bathe this in some prayer together for a minute. 
So allow me to pray for you and pray with you for a moment. Father, as you have spoken to us from your scriptures, some very challenging words today about community and relationships and the way way that those relationships look in our lives. And you've challenged us, God, to move out of just forming relationships that make us comfortable or are familiar with us. Having relationships with those that think like us or look like us, but yet venturing out and truly living out the marker that defines us in this life greater than culture or ethnicity or religion or that of politics or profession and that is you Lord because as we do that Father and we move out of those comfortable places of our life that we make you known in a greater way to the world around us So God, let this week, as we step out in your word, as we step out in what you have called us to do from the book of Ephesians, that we form relationships with others that are different than us. And God, you being glorified, you being glorified in those relationships, Father, for those moments when we have placed our preferences above others, even at the cost of their salvation, God, forgive us of those moments. Forgive us of that. And God, may we live as you lived. And may we lay our preferences aside for the better of others around us, that they may know you in a greater way. And Father, in doing so, you are glorified. You are glorified in those moments. So Father, work in our hearts. Father, reveal the signs and the walls that we have built up in our own lives. Tear those walls down. The walls may still exist in the temple or in culture, but they have no place in our life as a believer today. So you have torn down all the walls of hostility today. We submit to your lordship in our life this morning. In Jesus' name.